Hello again to the VIP Lounge. Please welcome to the stage Sarah and Courtney from Dangerous Games Podcast. Welcome to the first live episode we have ever done of right. Dangerous Games Podcast. And Together in the same, like, state, area. State, part of the country. I mean, we're like feats from each other. This is crazy. Usually we're miles apart. Yeah, I'm sitting in my office and she's sitting in, in the her, dark. In I her mean, scary basement where bears come and attack her. First off, that's not even cool. <laughs> so I am Courtney. I am with Reckless Cards. Uh, you may know me from Hobby Night School and Too Thick Pod. This is my beautiful, oh, stunning, Lord, here we go. gorgeous, perfect, light of my life, best of my friends, Sarah, the original Mrs. Breaker, Mrs. Squirts, and you would know her from being just like the best breaker ever. Well, I appreciate that. And just so everybody knows, that's what she says every time we start these. Because every day it's true. <laughs> it's truer than the last Well, time. I appreciate you, and you know what? Wouldn't be here without you. And I did drag you kicking and screaming into Yeah, this. did. <laughs> In more ways than one. But we are here, and we've been rolling. I think, like, what are we at now? Is this our 10th? No, 15. This is going to be episode 15 when it, we release it. I don't know. We've been just popping out so many of them, and we do so many of them, because we do two a night. Yeah. So. Yeah. So this is our first one doing a live one. It's going to be a little longer, because, you know, we have time to fill. And uh, we're going to get into it. We had a different plan for tonight, but... We thought since, you know, we were at the Women in the Hobby booth today, we are women in the hobby, uh, it, it made sense when we were together to do a big case yes. and do one that everybody knows and do a female athlete. A big case that we can fit in 30 minutes, 45 yeah. minutes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so today we are going to be doing the case of Tanya Harding. Mm. Good old Portland girl. Yep. And the crime actually happened in Detroit, so it kind of it's it's, it's serendipitous. Like we're both supposed of us. to be here. Yeah. So it was January 6th, 1994, at the U.S. Figure Skating Championships in Detroit, Michigan. The competition was fierce, but little did anyone know that a dark and shocking plot was unfolding behind the scenes. Nancy Kerrigan, an immensely talented figure skater and a top contender for the Winter Olympics, was about to take the ice for her practice session. But as she stepped out, an assailant struck her knee with a collapsible baton, leaving her injured and in pain. The chilling, why me, why, moment captured on camera would become a haunting image etched in figure skating history. Shockingly, as the investigation unraveled, the spotlight turned to Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan's main competitor. Harding was a formidable athlete known for her incredible jumping ability, particularly her triple axel. You know, she was the first female athlete to ever successfully complete a triple axel. I think that's crazy. If you think about it in like, the perspective of having to lift yourself off that ice and to do that and to execute something so crazy and it's to be true. the only one to do it. I mean, it kind of puts you at a bar that nobody else can touch. Which is wild that she was so um, poorly viewed in this space and in this sport due to the nature of her physical appearance. She didn't have that willowy, tall, lanky frame 
they wanted their figure skaters the to dancer look, body yes like a prima ballerina and yep. she was shorter she was thicker built and and thicker she weighed maybe 120 pounds soaking wet but she was solid muscular right. frame you so have to be in order to get off the ground to like do that. the the type of athletic Correct. feats that she was doing you had to be physically yes. like built like that but she was penalized for it because she didn't look and fit into the mold that they were looking for. So Tanya Harding was born in 1970 in November on the 12th, which is also my daughter's birthday, which is wild. That's that so Scorpio energy. They're just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this just brings us way too I know, much it's together. too much. <laughs> so in Portland to Lavana Golden and Al Harding. Her child was marked by challenging and tumultuous environment filled with financial difficulties and yeah. family hardships. Her, her family was very poor. Yeah. And her, pa- her mother was an alcoholic and her father just could not hold a job. I know. I, I think that's... I, I, wasn't he like... Didn't he work at some type of like... He would jump. He would jump from job to do- yeah, job. Yeah, he never... He'd get kind of bored of it and then be done with it. Or he would get in trouble. And Correct. Just, he just wasn't like a hanger-arounder kind of guy. Um, Lavona was tough and demanding, which is like an understatement. She was a horrible person. Oh, yes. She, uh, but she recognized her daughter's talent for figure skating from an early age. Um, Lavona was a chain smoker and a drunk and often used harsh and abusive words towards Tanya and physical violence. Mm-hmm. Um, she played a crucial role in her daughter's skating development, but it was, she wasn't a positive force in no. Tanya's life. At the age of three, Tanya was enrolled in skating lessons. Three years old. And I think that was at the Lloyd Center. Yes. In Portland. Um, it was. She was, her raw talent and determination were noticeable, even though her family really struggled to afford the high costs associated with figure skating. And as we get into this, you'll see the difference between, like, Nancy Kerrigan, I think people viewed her as being this wealthy person. Right. And her family was actually very, like, middle class, too. And they couldn't afford the high cost. Her parents, however, sacrificed a lot right. to make her able to afford what she needed. And her beauty and her, like, very traditional girl-next-door prima ballerina looks got her a lot of sponsorships and, uh, you know, um, just advertising deals things that tanya wasn't getting so nancy naturally like moved apart from tanya i think financially do you think that a lot of it had to do with their upcoming though um for tanya being you know feeling more reserved because of the abuse at home because of the unstableness at home do you think possibly like she didn't put herself out there to be a nancy because well, she, I think she wanted to be a Nancy. I, I think, think she so didn't too. understand. She would come. She'd have her makeup done and her hair done, but she did it in a way that was looked at as rough gotcha. and not Correct. you know, elegant. And right. she thought she looked beautiful, but she just wasn't fitting into what they wanted her, is the this, aesthetic that they were looking for. Is this for. about the time that figure skating started picking up? I feel like... I don't know how far back figure skating... I feel skating. like the whole thing with time... Well, you had all of that. You had... You know the the figure skating was the Olympics in like the 90s with the female athletes. You know, look at the female gymnasts. All of that that was going on. There was a lot more focus on this. It was a lot of like empowerment. A lot more eyes on the. And and when I say empowerment, I mean it in a way where women were being seen as these like amazing athletes, but still 
held to different standards Correct. than their male counterparts. Like it, you don't care what uh, you know a male athlete looks like if he's out there doing it. Where right. these women not only had to be athletic, they had to look a certain way and fit into a certain aesthetic, Correct. which was rough and hard. And Tanya, try as she might, couldn't do it. And you know you have Nancy Kerrigan getting Vera Wang dresses, and you have. Um, Tanya Harding's mom sewing hers up and sewing them in ways where people found them to be gaudy or classless. Like there's right. a, a very famous one of her in like a purple one where they use like skin color down the middle and right. it looks like it's low cut to her belly button, but it isn't. Right. And she got judged very unfairly on that. So as she, you know, she just continued to get the short end of the stick. She had to start working at the mall where in the Lloyd Center, where uh, at the pretzel shop, to help mm. uh, probably Auntie Annie's. <laughs> yeah, no, it was like a different like off brand. Oh, gotcha. I can't remember the name of it. I looked for it, I couldn't write it down. But she just she was she was doing it on her own. Her mom would pay for ice time for her, and then if she when she was a little girl, her mom would be like, "You can't get off the ice." To the point of like she would have to go to the bathroom, and she'd like wet herself on the ice because Lavona would not let her get off the ice. This child was abused right. forever. And it's not even just necessarily, that's, that's a psychological abuse at that point, too, because, uh, yeah, there's obviously the physical, but the psychological is definitely there, which I think can make, could help better understand why she became the person she did later on. I think a lot of her upbringing and her life and then her relationship with Jeff Galuli yeah. Um, and, and her stepbrother all right. kind of um, culminated into what she became. So let's, like, let's go a little bit forward to when she met Jeff. Okay. So actually the night of her first date with Jeff, her stepbrother um, attacked her and mm. uh, mm-hmm. essayed her. Yeah. And he was arrested for that. Right. And that was, she was getting ready for her, her first date with Jeff. And he came home and chased her around the house, uh, attacked her. She, he ended up thing. getting arrested for this yes. and was sentenced to jail. And her mother's response to this was, you know, Tanya lies. I could, see, I could see him trying to kiss her, but Tanya lies. So when you're going through all of this and everyone in your life that's supposed to love you either harms you or doesn't believe you when you say you're harmed, right. I imagine that can be really detrimental. You suppress yourself. What do you, I mean, you can't open up. Who do you talk to at that point? No, yeah, and like we talked about, there wasn't a lot of resources for... Right. people at this time so you know she's going through this basically alone and then enter Jeff Galuli so <laughs> Jeff Galuli was older than her he also worked at the mall he was into the whole figure skating thing and you know Tanya was very uh, appealing to him um, they had a complex and tumultuous relationship that began during their teen years uh, they met through mutual involvement in figure skating obviously the couple got married in 1990 and while their union started out hopeful, I think Tanya really just wanted to get out of her house. And Jeff was like that, like, escape. But it turned out that Jeff just wasn't that great. Um, he, he was also one that bounced around from job to job. So she might be used to that from her dad. And that seems more normal. He, uh, he looked at her kind of like a meal ticket. He was constantly pressuring her to do better. On two separate occasions, she filed for restraining orders against him. Mm. Um, she maintains that she stayed with him uh, because the Skating Federation looked down on divorce. Gotcha. Um, they wanted their girls to be pure, beautiful, angelic, 
And the fact that she was married was already a mark against her because it gets it gives away that virginal perfect beauty thing because right. she's married. Right. And so you're certainly not getting divorced. Right. So she with and it was an uphill battle she was already facing with discrimination about her background. She felt trapped in this relationship. Skating judges didn't want their skaters married and they certainly didn't want them divorced. So she also later on would say that Jeff had uh, essayed her during their relationship. He would force himself on her. And she just, you know, she was abused every second of every day, all the time. And so I want to talk just a little bit about Nancy. Because I think that talking about what she went through growing up to is important before we get into the actual crime. Nancy uh, is childhood was marked by her early passion for figure skating and the unwavering support of her family so we talked about how society kind of pitted these girls against each other right. and they weren't maybe necessarily uh adversaries they they had a lot in common they could have been friends but society told them that they were competitors they were enemies they needed to fight against each other rather than build each other up so her her home life was a stark contrast to Tanya's. Her dad would drive the Zamboni. Her mother mm-hmm. was blind and was a homemaker. Right. Um, she was really encouraged by them. Daniel and Brenda Carey. And uh, she began figure skating lessons when she was six. So three years after, you know, Tanya had been skating, her talent and dedication quickly became evident, and she progressed rapidly under the guidance of her first coach, Teresa Martin. Nancy's family made significant sacrifices to nurture her burgeoning talent. And we talked about this before, too, that potentially all the sacrifices that the family made for Nancy, her brother, uh, might have been suffering. And we also talk about the the perception of society is greater than the reality of what's going on. Everyone perceived Tanya's family as being trashy and bad, and they perceived Nancy's family as being this, like, golden, beautiful family, and everybody got along. But did you, I mean, as an outsider looking in, did you feel that way? Or do you feel like maybe they were the same? Do you think that maybe there's a lot of lines that could have been the same? But Maybe, but, you know, I, I was in fourth grade when all of this happened, and I remember very distinctly thinking that Nancy was basically a princess okay. and that Tanya was like an evil stepsister Step-child. who yeah. came in and was jealous of her and attacked her because she was jealous because she's a better skater and she's prettier. Arguably, Tanya was the better skater. Correct. She was more athletic. Correct. She was physically more I dominant. I believe Nancy was always below her she on was. the podium. She was. On all of and them. And that's the thing is Nancy yeah. just looked the part. Tanya Correct. was the part. Correct. And if we had valued her athleticism over her looks, which again, she was. Or just supported a, her as. As a person. Yes. The, she wasn't an ugly girl. That was always the thing that surprised me. She was pretty. So. Nancy kept, uh, you know, she got better and better. Her and Tanya were both winning titles at the same time alongside each other. One would win, the other one would win, one would win, the other one would win. And it, came, it became very clear that they were each other's, in America, mm. they were each other's top competition. Correct. So, like I said, the attack on Nancy Kerrigan occurred January 6, 1994, just weeks before the Winter Olympics. Um... Nancy was a, a, a fighter. You know, I feel like we're kind of, I don't want to come off like we're ragging on Nancy. None of this was Nancy's fault. It's Correct. not her fault that she fit the aesthetic. It's not her fault that Tanya felt threatened by her. She was the victim in this. Correct. But um, I think it, they're both victims. I just they think they're victims of two, two different things. And I agree. I agree. So 
now now it's mid-December, okay? okay? And I'm going to go uh, on record as saying that I think that Jeff Galilli and his friend Sean Eckhart, who we'll talk about as we move on, are arguably two of the most incompetent criminals to ever commit a crime. Oh, yeah. They bumbled and clunked their way through the entire crime. They were unable to locate where Nancy would be multiple times and both actively discussed their involvement after the crime. Sean would tell people he had worked as an under he worked undercover for the CIA as an operative and he said outside the wrong rink allegedly uh, he sat outside the wrong rink allegedly scouting um, a location for the entire day. And Nancy was not even there. Yeah. So in mid-December of 1993, that's when this all kind of started. That's when when what was going to eventually go down the, the started precursor to it. it. Yep. Yes. So Tanya finished uh, discouraging fourth in the world skating uh, competition in Japan, which it's out. It's out. It's outrageous to think that fourth place in the world was disappointing. But it doesn't get you to where you, you want to be. You needed to be in the top two to qualify, and she yep. was not. So unfortunately, the ch- with the championships in Detroit approaching, she was seeing her you know, chances of going to the Olympics. And she was really mad, and she was blaming Kerrigan. She was blaming Kerrigan. She was blaming the judges. She was blaming them because sh- she felt like they were not... Um, they, were, they were being unfair to her. So when she went home to Portland, where her ex-husband, because she did get divorced, but she stayed with Jeff, and he was her manager in the most weird toxic situation ever and she told him that she was just like super frustrated and Galuli told his friend Sean Eckert who was working as Harding's bodyguard what was going on to which Sean Eckert had the brilliant idea what if Nancy were to receive some type of threat um and Jeff was like what kind of threat like you know scare her so she wouldn't come back you know like maybe she was too scared to skate and then she would drop out of the competition and, you know, Tanya could be the star like she should be. And Jeff thought this was a brilliant idea. And he's like, we have to tell Tanya, though, because if we're, you know, sending threats to the skaters, she might get scared and not want to skate, too. And so they told Tanya, Accor- this is according to Jeff and, and right. Sean. So take it with, you know. So they implicate her all the way through. And then there are some things that Tanya does that implicates herself because all the way up until this present date, she says that she did not have any part in right. the planning or execution of this or crime. Or knowing about it. She I knew about it after the fact. So right. she she admits to that. She As admits she, she knew. said, that she only knew afterwards. Only after the but fact. But I think that, that there, she was kind of hiding a little bit more. that maybe she did mm-hmm. know more than what she said. Um, so they told... They told Tanya, allegedly, and she said it was a good idea, but she didn't think that Eklund was smart enough to carry it out, was basically the vibe. I think he had a few screws missing in that brain. I think that she was right, because he wasn't smart enough to carry it. <laughs> he did it, kind of. Well, correct. Um, I think he so missed the mark, like, literally. He did, Well, he didn't. He hired someone, because he didn't actually do it himself. So the week of December 18, 1993, Harding made plans to travel to the Nationals, and she had gotten a $10,000 donation from, of all people, George Steinbrenner. Um, That's, that just floors me. So he was funding her trip as, like, you know, he right. was her sponsor. So he figured, so Galuli then was worried that there was not going to be enough money left to pay for all of Tanya's stuff that she needed expenses. for, yeah, all of her expenses, um, because he was supposed to be Eckhart 
$4,500 for the carry-in job. Now, the amount of money <laughs> that goes for this fluctuates up and down, up it's and down, up so and down. It's so crazy. Like it, it, it's $4,500, then it's two grand, then it's three grand, then it's $65,000. It's just outrageous. I, I think, doesn't it go up, though, because of, like, the extent the, they, of the they crime? They go from, like, like, threat to attack to kidnapping to, to murder. Killer, yeah. yeah. It, it, th- this is, this plot was absolutely wrought with stupidity and inconsistency. I and think the longer women. they like thought about it and like, were yeah. like trying to figure out what to do, it, it just manifested into like uh, crazy, craziness. crazy, yeah. crazy. So on December 24th, so Christmas Eve, 93, um, Galuli gets a, a ton of phone calls from a man identifying himself as Derek, who wants to talk about a business proposal involving Sean Eckhart. So now Galuli's freaking out. He's, like, calling Sean. He's like, why are you telling people what we're doing? Like, there's too many people involved. I don't want to do this anymore. We're going to get caught. And um, Eckert is like, no, this guy's solid. He's going to help us. He's a guy who gets stuff done. So Galuli... But did he? He kind (laughs) of. I mean, sort of. A little bit. But he got caught. Yeah, well, everybody got caught. (laughs) So... On the day after Christmas now, so two days later, uh, assured by Eckhart that Derek is going to be, like, a good middleman and get them the real bad guys that are going to do this for them, he agrees to meet Derek and hear him out, and they decide that the job will cost $2,000. Only $2,000? So $2, only $2,000 to attack. What are we, oh, just attack now, her or scare it, her? It went from scare her. It was at scare her at this point, so okay. two thousand dollars. Scare her for two thousand. Um, scare her for two thousand dollars. So Vera Morano, who's another skater, and he, uh, or no, she's a writer in Pennsylvania. Sorry, not a skater. She is a writer for uh, a skating writer, sports writer for figure skating. Um, That's a mouthful. Yeah, it is. <laughs> she gets a a call from Tanya at this time, saying Merry Christmas, and she wants to. She needs her to settle a bet for her. Could you tell me, Vera, when, what does Nancy's training schedule look like? Because I don't think she trains as hard as me. What is what does her training schedule look like? So I can see if she's if she really trains as hard as I do. To which Vera told her, because she had no reason not to. Because she had she had no, no idea. To, she didn't know what was going on. So, on December twenty seventh, so this is the next day, Galuli cashes a check for three thousand dollars. And he told Harding, according to him, that he was going to go meet this Derek guy to settle the deal about attacking Kerrigan, or scaring Kerrigan. Um, on, the, on the next day, the 28th, Agnes, uh, who's Eckhart's mother, so now they're involving this poor woman in this, uh, Sean Eckhart's mom. Hmm. Uh, they have the meeting to attack a professional figure skater at this guy's mom's house. No. Of all the nonsense. So Derek Smith shows up, um, and and Shane Stant, who is his nephew, he shows up, and he's wearing a black hat, a black Australian outback style coat, and black fingerless gloves. This is how he shows up to this meeting. This woman, I can't even imagine what Sean Eckhart's mom's thinking. Like, all of these weird-looking men show up to her house. One of them's, like, dressed like Crocodile Dundee, but, like, goth. And there's she's just Why like, okay, come are into your my fingers house. I don't know. Gloves. Like, what is like, the point of gloves without fingers? What's, what is the point? So they they have is, this. Is it, wait, wait, is I'm he sorry, tri- you're really thrown off by the glove. I know, <laughs> I am really thrown off by this glove thing because if you're coming for like a job interview and that's what I you're think looking he like, he looked tough. 
No. Yeah. I mean, they're not stopping he got the full black him. outfit I got it, so, like, maybe she won't see him. I don't know, man. I, I don't know. But the I, fingers, man, that's good. The fingers make, are out. Those yeah, are out. Like I can't fingers. get that. So now they're sitting here, and they're having this meeting, and they're, they're talking about what they're going to do. And they started out as, we're going to scare her, to let's slice her Achilles tendon so she'll never walk again. Or let's kidnap her and take her out. They had all of this stuff. So they finally settled that they were going to just, like, break her knees. Is this the same man that was wearing the fingers? Yes, all of them. The four of them. No. Sean Eckert, Shane Stant, the, he's the one who ends up co- like committing the crime. Right. Derek Smith, who's the man who gets stuff done. And then Sean Eckert, the alleged CIA undercover operative, turned security guard, turned Turn everything. hitman for hire for figure skating. So Smith promises that if the job isn't done, he and Stant will chip in for their own expenses. Like, they're going to bill it, like, they want you to pay. If they don't do a good job, they'll pay for their their own self to get out there and everything. And when Galuli allegedly told Harding this, she laughed and said, oh, they have a money-back guarantee. <laughs> That's so, so bad. It's so terrible. But it's so true. I know. Because, so, I mean, they at this point, they had enough money to cover any level of crime that they wanted to commit. They were. They, they had the $10,000. They were ready. Yeah. So, Galuli... Call, uh, starts pl- making the plans. They're gonna go to Boston. They're gonna. They decide that the best place to get her would be at her training camp. So they're they're following her around through December, mm. like through these these months of December and into January, trying to find her. And they they're constantly going to the wrong place. They literally travel all up and down the East Coast trying to catch her at her thing. They had spent an entire day outside of an ice skating rink, going back and forth, moving their car. Like, trying not to look suspicious, even though they were looking the most suspicious ever. Hold the ice skating rink, and they're like, yeah, she's not here. Of course they she's not. They all day sitting out there moving around, waiting for her to come out. She wasn't even there. They're so incompetent. Now they're running out of money. They're putting things on their credit cards, which is now making a paper trail of where they've been and that they've been stalking her. So we're, we're, the level of intensity for this crime is boiling at this point. It is. And Jeff and Tanya, according to Jeff, are out of the loop. They're like, these guys are not contacting them. They're not reaching out. They have no idea what's going on. And so Jeff is like saying I, he's out of the loop. He's freaking out. They, and, and Eckhart's saying they need more money. And Galuli's like, this is stupid. Like, this is ridiculous. And according to Galuli, Tanya's like, if they don't do this and get it done, I want my $2,000 back. Like, we can use that for So we settled on $2,000 for alleged, this, allegedly all of this. Okay. Back and forth, $2,000. Right. But now, go all the way to January 4th. They have been following this woman around, trying to attack her for, like, a week. Yeah. A week now. And they have not succeeded. In Portland, Eric Eckert calls a guy named Russell Rusty Ritz and asks him if he would be willing to kill somebody or break their legs. And he was thinking, and he said $65,000, and it was a job in Detroit. Now, I don't know how we go from 2000 to 3000 to 4500 all the way up to 65000 and it's to kill but, someone. But how do, how, do you, how do you ask somebody for either to 
end somebody the lives, or someone's life, yeah. just break their legs. Just break their One legs. Of those I mean, two things. Like, how, the, I mean, there's a vast difference in between. You can them. make your own decision in between, I guess. Like, and is it like a sliding scale? I mean, if you want to like break her legs and her pinky finger, I guess like, that's gonna make sure. you like a couple thousand extra. Yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll add an extra hundred dollars if you break her pinky too. So Ritz d- dismisses this as just talk. He's like, this is nothing. I don't, like, this guy's crazy. So on January 6, 1994, a man with a black metal baton clubs Nancy Kerrigan just above the right knee. Now, again, they talked about breaking her knee. This man could not even hit her in the knee. He hit her in the upper thigh, mid-thigh. It, it didn't break any bones, but she got a severe, like, bone bruise. It, it pu- I think she pulled herself out of that that next um, competition, yeah, too, she because yeah. she couldn't do it. She couldn't. She got a pass. She was supposed to qualify. And because of this, she ended up not having to go to the qualifying, and she just automatically got a Correct. qualify. So they really did themselves a disservice by this because yep. she didn't even have to compete to get in. Um, and now this was at the Cabo uh, Arena during the U.S. Figure Skating Championships. The attacker breaks through a glass door. And when I say breaks through a glass door, he didn't just, like, you know, ninja style through this glass door. He put his head down like a stupid and ram and used his head and rammed his way through the glass doors it's to get pl- out. it's plexiglass isn't it yeah oh. yeah so later that day ritz the guy that eckert had called was like hey did you see what happened to nancy kerrigan in detroit and he was like yeah she got it so do you remember the meeting that they had in sean eckert's mom's basement yeah they recorded that Oh, because they're dumb. Yeah. So they recorded that, and Sean Eckert was playing it for people, like, oh. to show off, like, what a bad, like, Why a badass Why do murderers is. or people like that, like, like to boast know. about crimes that they're going to do? Back then, too. Like now, like, now everybody puts everything out. Correct. But back then, this was not, like, a thing. People didn't just, like, record no. themselves, you know, talking about crimes. So he played it for people, and one of the people that he played it for was a woman, and she called the police in Detroit and was like, hey, did. I watched, I saw a video of, of, of Sean Eckert, Jeff Galuli, Derek Smith, and Shane Shant saying that they were going to, like, kill Nancy Kerrigan, basically. So, obviously, the police were like, this well. makes sense. So, Harding, so that's on the 7th. On the 8th, Harding wins the U.S. figure skating title and a place on the Olympic team. Kerrigan is unable to compete because of the injury, but the skating officials give her the other spot on the team anyways, right. like we talked about. So, that was on the 8th. Now, the 11th. A Metro Detroit resident finds a black baton believed to be the weapon used in the attack. And he turns it over to the police, and it's given to the FBI for fingerprinting. Now, I wonder if he was wearing his fingerless gloves. Um, So stupid. On January 12th, the Portland, Oregonian newspaper reveals that Eckert played the tape of the discussion to injure Kerrigan Mm. to a Portland minister, Eugene Saunders. So another person that he has played this videotape for. And Saunders goes to a, a private investigator and to the FBI and was like, hey, I saw this. Law enforcement authorities reveal that Eckert has confessed. So he finally confesses on the 12th, and he implicated Galuli and two others. Galuli denied everything. He was like, I didn't do this. On January 13th, Eckert and Derek Smith are arrested, and they're uh, charged with conspiracy. Smith is suspected of driving the getaway car. Um, and... Now they're searching everybody's houses for stuff and, you know, whatever. So on January 14th, Stant surrenders to the FBI in Phoenix. In Detroit, law enforcement officials reveal that Harding herself is under investigation now. So what ends up happening is Nancy, you know, 
comes back. She, right. They all end up skating. Tanya, because gets, this is on. Tanya gets first place, correct? No, no. Uh, Oksana Bayul gets first place. Nan- oh, that's right. Yeah, that's Nancy right. gets second. That's right. And Tanya gets third. Tanya wasn't even supposed to skate because they were currently un- in a, under investigation because she hadn't been found guilty of a crime at the time of the event. You know, that's so crazy. I, I remember reading about that, too. She sued, she sued them. Right, and that and that, that suing process or whatever that... They that, just were it, like, fine, we'll let right. you go. So I bought cards. I have a Topps card from 2011 of them crossing paths on the ice during practice at the Olympics. Yeah. It's, they had to skate together. This is one of, like, they said that it sounded like a bomb went off in the stadium because everybody was, like, click, 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 taking this picture oh, as they crossed paths on the ice. So. And didn't Nancy wear the leotard that, that she, she was attacked? when she got attacked. attacked. Yes. And sh- when she was asked about it, they um, asked her if she did it as just kind of like a, hmm situation and she's like mm-hmm. basically yep. nancy was bitter she still has never forgiven tanya she said she will never forgive tanya she does not care and you know she as she shouldn't it, nancy became more likable to me the more like real she was like they caught her right. on hot mics after all of this for like for a while she was like oh everybody felt so bad for her and then they caught her on a hot mic like kind of talking a little smack about oxana Bayol. and then they caught her talking some smack about mickey mouse and people got a little mad at her but I was just like, you know, she's a real person. Right. And we, we constantly, it goes back to that where they just did not treat these women like real people. I think people um, forget that they're real people, though, too. You know? So they had plenty of evidence. And eventually Tanya admitted to knowing about the stuff. But she says she didn't know about it until after the event. And she refused to admit anything beyond that. Um, Ch- Sean Eckert was uh pleaded guilty and he uh ended up going to jail for 18 months for racketeering yep. shane stant was also got uh convicted of racketeering and he went to jail for 18 months Derek smith was accomplice in the getaway driver he ended up getting probation jeff galuli did two years for racketeering Tanya Harding's legacy in figure skating is undeniably mixed, and while she was an immensely talented athlete who achieved impressive feats on the ice, her association with Kerrigan incident definitely overshadowed that. She, you know, got banned from skating for the rest of her life. She was never allowed to skate again. And wasn't she ripped of her title? She, she, pleaded, she pleaded guilty to right. hindering the prosecution. Oh, yeah. And then she received three years probation, community service, and a fine. 500 hours of community service and a fine. And in addition, she was banned from the U.S. Figure Skating Association and stripped of her 1994 title. And you know that, I don't know if you know this, but even today, that title is still blank. Yeah. They never replaced it with the second place person or, you know, changed no. it. When they ripped the title, they ripped the title. She and was it's just, just done. It's, it's blank. as if nobody won that year. Nope. She, it was invisible. So um, these people are a mess. <laughs> to say the least. Tanya has battled, like, a lot of battles since then. Mm. She, her life has become the subject of documentaries, podcasts, no <laughs> books, way. films that explore the complexities of her upbringing, her role in the attack. And despite her immense talent as a skater, her legacy will forever be associated with the uh, controversy surrounding Nancy. And the other thing is, is, like, she was abused even after this because Jeff released personal videos of their wedding night right. without her consent. Right. And... 
she couldn't get them to stop because they have laws against that now, but back in the 90s, Correct. they didn't. Correct. And so she ended up signing off just so she could make some money off of those tapes because she couldn't skate. She couldn't. She had no like, discernible skills anymore. And didn't you say that you had done a, like a Google search or whatever of like what she's worth nowadays? It's like 500000 only. And like what Nancy's worth, which is like, like a millions, couple million. Yeah. And it's just crazy like what Tanya could have been if she was given the um, resources that she could have used at a yeah. younger age. Yep. So after all of this, Nancy also stepped back from the spotlight. Um, she became a mother. She has three kids. And she has really prioritized her role as wife and mother. Mm. In the years following, Kerrigan made appearances and stuff like that. But she really has led a very private life. Um, her family, again, we talk about like perception versus reality. Her brother was uh, arrested in, 20, 2000, in January of 2010 because him and his father had a, uh, a dispute. And it led to a physical altercation where Mark choked Daniel. And during the incident, um, Daniel ended up having going to cardiac arrest and dying. So despite effort, efforts, you know, they tried to resuscitate him, he, or resuscitate him, he died. So he ended up going to jail. He was assault with, uh, or charged with assault and, and severe body energy, uh, geez. Assault and battery causing serious bodily injury and was held on bail. Um, it was just, it was crazy. He went to jail for only two and a half years for killing his dad. That's crazy. So I think it, it, like that added to a lot of like Nancy's already like difficult past. Um, I don't know. It's it's just crazy. So I wanted to like the one last thing, like where everyone kind of is. Tanya is like living her best life now. She's just like out. Yeah, she lives up I think up in uh, Washougal, Washington. And last I saw, she was a welder. Yeah. And, you know, she's always she been did a boxing. Trade. She did a lot of celebrity yeah, like appearances yep. on like Dancing with the Stars. Uh, she was on Worst Cook. Worst Cook of America or she, something. Was she on Celebrity Apprentice too? I don't know. I can't remember. She's I know she was on, on like Dancing a, with the Stars. And yeah, like, she did a she did like a whole stint of reality TV. And I think you know when you and I talked about the Dancing with the Stars thing, I think we kind of thought that that was an opportunity for people to sh to see her soft and side, maybe give her a little support. Because wasn't it like, like Sarah Layton was saying like it was right after? Yeah, I, I think people realized that like maybe they had been really horrible to her. Yep. Um, even though what she did was horrible. Correct. So <sighs> Jeff Galuli. You know, after he got out of jail, he changed his name to Jeff Stone. In 95, he married a woman named Nancy Sharkey, and they had two kids. Uh, unfortunately, you know, Sharkey ended up uh, taking her own life, and Jeff remarried again, a woman named Christi, Christy Novazio. We need to find this woman. I know. They got married in 2012. Um, the last thing that I heard about Jeff, he had he, the most recent quote I found of him was him saying, the most common question I'm ever asked if it comes up, do you regret what you did? I guess it's kind of a yes and no question. Yes, it was pretty darn stupid. It was pretty ridiculous. But in the same instance, I'm a big believer in how you lay out your life and how you, how each step you take, each opportunity you use, whether for good or bad, kind of leads you down the road. I'm real happy with my life. I'm real happy with the way it turned out. I've got two beautiful kids with my ex-wife and I've got a lot of good friends. What's, what's there to regret? Not much. Like, how about attacking a woman for no reason and destroying, like, at least six people's lives? I mean, I think, it, you know, we also talked about this, too. It's kind of like they, 
he had nothing against him. Like at, at the end of the day, he walked away, and his yeah, legacy he, he had married, no legacy. His name. He, he was just, married to a legacy. Yeah. He was with the legacy. This he is destroyed her. It. Correct. And he spread tapes of her. I he know. He just consent. And now, and now, to be so flippant, like not only that, he attacked a woman. Yep. Like uh, I don't regret assaulting a woman. Not, not I don't regret it. What an absolute piece of trash, garbage person he. Is. He is a piece of garbage, Jackalooly Stone, whatever you want to call yourself. If you're watching, he probably changed his name again. You're a terrible person. Um, similarly, Sean Eckert, who played the role in planning the attack has mostly stayed out of the spotlight. Um, after he got out of jail, he also changed his name to Brian Sean Griffith. He died at the age of 40 in 2007. Um, he had done a computer business, but that didn't last for very long. And he was also arrested again and sentenced to three years probation for assault in 2001. So obviously also did not learn his lesson. Jeez. The hitman stance, the guy who actually did the crime, he found Jesus... And, you know, he said he, he knows it sounds really cliche-ish, but it really changed me. And I had opportunity when I was in prison to sit and go, man, what kind of person do you want to be? Was that finger what guy? Kind of, he was the guy who ran his head through the wall. Oh. Uh, Maybe that's how he found him. So he, he wanted to be a better person. So I, I can respect that. I can respect it, too. He was also, like, the very youngest of this whole group of people. And Derek Smith, nobody knows what really happened to him. He uh, he moved up to like Montana and nobody knows. Which I find really interesting. He's like out Once there again. in the wilds of Montana. <laughs> so that is the wild and crazy case of Tanya I, Harding. I really think that you know, just finish it off real, real quick. But I think that both sides were victims. I think that you know she was obviously uh, Nancy was a victim of the attack from. Um, Tanya, but I think Tanya was a victim in her home. She was a victim of her whole life. Correct. She remains And I think that, you know, like we had mentioned before, like it was, if she had the opportunity to have a different life and be in a different family, you know, with all the resources nowadays, you know, this doesn't happen in public without somebody saying something nowadays. Oh, yeah. um, No. Maybe she wouldn't have met the Jeff. The stuff that Lavona did alone in public at the ice rink where for everyone to see would have been enough for someone to step in. And I think that um, her having a voice would have helped her. I think there's a lot of things that could have helped prevent this in the long run. And I think nobody taught her how to be competitive. Our society, like, failed Tanya and created Tanya. So it, yeah. it is what it is. So and a different era. I don't know. Well, I appreciate you guys all for sticking through this. Yes, I hope thank you. I know it's, like, different than the sports card content you're used to. <laughs> Um, we do have a couple Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding cards if you guys want to check them out. They're pretty cool. And uh, until next time, be safe and make good choices. Don't make the choices that Tanya Harding made. Yeah. Definitely don't do that. Don't do that. That's bad. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right. Hello.